Good evening, everyone. Uh, let's just pray before we start. Lord, I pray that by your spirit, I would speak your truth. Anything that is of me would fall away, and all that is of you will remain. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you've all heard the phrase, you've got to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. In other words, you ought to actually do what you say you're going to do and not just talk about it. Actions speak louder than words. Put your money where your mouth is. For example, if you see someone you know who professes to being a vegan eating a bacon sandwich with brown sauce on it in Williams on a Saturday morning, their status as a vegan is no longer that credible. How many times have you heard someone say that they're going to do something and then never do it? I can't tell you how many times my daughters have said they would tidy their rooms, get off their iPads, do their homework, hang out the washing. I could go on, but Ime's sitting just there. And then they've not done it. How many times have you heard yourself do it? So many times I have said to myself and to my husband James that I will allocate a special place in the house for my keys so that I don't have to whiz around like a firework every time I go out. Do I do it? No, never. But thankfully I've got this excellent little tile thing on my keyring now um, which buzzes when I use an app on my phone so I don't need to worry anymore. Now, I know these examples are fairly trivial, but what about when it involves something important to us or important to others? Let's think for a moment how we feel when political leaders, church leaders, our boss at work, anyone in authority over us doesn't do what they say they're going to do. How do we feel? Cross? Let down? Disillusioned? Not surprised, people are always letting us down. And what about the media? Look how they respond. Often they'll brand that person a liar or a fraud. Twitter, Facebook, social media explodes and then a very public humiliation ensues. The thing is, we all fail to do what we say we're going to do. And in this passage from John's letter, we are getting both a warning of the dangers of not doing what we say we're going to do and the promise of what life will be like when we do. In these verses, John is offering us both the challenge and the gift of walking with Jesus. So if you've closed your Bibles, could you just open them again with me and turn to page 1225. You've got a little sheet, I've promised myself I'll never call it a batting order, in your note thing, that if, you, if that helps you can follow along with that or not, whatever. So before we start, it's really helpful to remember that John wrote this letter at a time when a movement of people called the Gnostics were falling away from true faith in Jesus Christ. They believed some things about Christ, but they failed to grasp that Jesus was God or that the truth was with them there and then, and that it mattered how they lived their earthly lives. John smashes 
any false illusions they and we might have about what constitutes a lived-out faith straight away in these first few verses. In verse 3, he says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. So, what he's saying here is that our actions ought to reflect our faith. That the proper response to the acknowledgement of the love of God shown in Jesus Christ is active obedience. Okay? Then he goes on in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. It gets quite stark here, doesn't it? It would be good to start with what John is not saying. He is not saying that to be a true Christian, you must keep, or will even be able to keep, perfect adherence to all God's commandments. Looking back to chapter 1, verse 8, John has already stated, if we claim to be out sin, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What John is saying is that true faith or religious experience comes with transformation. And that this transformation is evidence of our identity as followers of Christ. Gospel love is not fluffy. It's more than just a nice feeling. It's a powerful force that lives within us. And not just now not just in the future, as the Gnostics believed, but now. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we cannot help but be changed. Now, Philip once said in a sermon that when he came to faith, he stopped swearing. I have to say that this has not been the case for me. However, I was and have remained freed from the crippling anxiety that brought me to church in the first place. This had nothing to do with keeping God's commandments in my own strength, but all to do with God's transforming power that entered my life the moment I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour. The Apostle Paul affirms this in Romans 8 verse 9 when he says... You are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit of God living in you. So, our faith ought to be transformative. John is essentially saying that without moral authentication, our claims to, follow, to be followers of Jesus are fake. It's sort of like when we say we're going to lose weight, get fit, study harder work less, take more holidays, pray more. There ought to be some tangible change that confirms our actions. But, in contrast to the starkness of verses 3 and 4, John shows us in verse 5 the real and very beautiful difference faith in Jesus makes in our lives when we do walk in his footsteps. But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Love for God is truly made complete in us if we obey his words. For this to be true, all we need to do is say yes to Jesus. 
except that he is the everlasting truth and God, by his spirit, will transform us from the inside out. This is how we know we are in him. It is that simple. Love for God is truly made complete in us if we obey his words. For this to be true, all we need to do is say yes to Jesus. Accept that he is the everlasting truth and God by his spirit will transform us from the inside out. This is how we know we are in him. John is not giving us a stick to bash ourselves with, but markers with which to measure the transforming power of Jesus in our lives. At a time when believers were being lured by a false idea of Jesus, indisputable measures were necessary, and I think these same measures are equally necessary today. We live in a culture that is screaming at us to walk with it and not with Jesus to buy into ideas that will just fade away, pulling us to concern ourselves with how we look, what we wear, where we live, where we go on holiday, what we drive, ideas and things that will never satisfy. We need this wake-up call just as much as they did, if not more. John says in verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In the NRSV version of the Bible, the translation is slightly different. Listen. It says, Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. I like the use of the word ought here. It suggests more to me than the word must. It suggests the existence of the awesome power behind our desire to conform to Jesus and not to the pattern of this world. The power of the spirit of Jesus who lives in us. It is not our own good works and effort in which we abide. But as Paul says in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. If we say we are followers of Jesus, then we need to follow him. We need to walk as he walked. But we don't do it alone. We do it with him. We cannot claim to live in him unless we behave like him any more than we can claim to be a vegan and eat bacon. Mahatma Gandhi famously said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. If our relationship with Jesus is not pointing us toward walking like he does and aiming to please him, then it's a relationship that needs looking at. Think about your own relationships. When you know someone and you love them and you know them to be good, isn't it instinctive to want to please them? Think of your children, or your parents, or your closest friends. Do you just blindly ignore their wishes and feelings, or do you try and do what makes them happy? 
In Matthew 7, verse 9, Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Parents have an innate desire to do what is best for their children. But our love is never perfect like Jesus's because of our sin and ego and selfishness gets in the way. We will never be as obedient to that love as we would like, but by just looking at our own earthly relationships, we can see that when we understand what Jesus has done for us, just how much he loves us, our hearts really ought to be turned towards him in gratitude for the grace and mercy that he has shown us on the cross. In Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This commandment to live as Jesus lived, John says in verses 7 and 8, is both old and new. What does he mean by that? Well, it's old in the sense that it goes back to the Old Testament and those laws that the readers would have been familiar with. But it's new in the light of Jesus Christ. Jesus gave his disciples a new commandment. In John 3, 34 to 35, he says, A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This one command brings all the others under it. This new command to love as Jesus loved is what God intends to be revealed in and through all of us who follow Jesus. To love as Jesus loved is sacrificial. Jesus loved us all the way to the cross and died for us. We are called to love others in a way that is costly to us. If we look back to the parable of the Good Samaritan that we studied last term, we see that love for his neighbour cost him physically, emotionally, financially, and it cost him time. Something that seems so very scarce in our culture today. Walking like Jesus doesn't mean that we have to pick 12 disciples and die on a cross. Some of what Jesus did was distinct to him because of who he is. But to model his behaviour is to pick up our own crosses, whatever they may be, and carry them with dignity, as Jesus did. That might be in the caring of an elderly relative, or a child with learning difficulties, or being a friend to someone who doesn't have any. It isn't easy to sit with the sick, the unkind, the depressed, the anxious. It reminds us of our own fears and frailties. This is when the power of the Spirit of Jesus living in us enables us to live out that complete love for God expressed in our obedience to his commands that John is talking about in verse 5. Look at Peter and his walk with Jesus. Peter was never a model disciple, and he reflects much of our own stupidity and blindness. But look at what he could do when he kept his eyes on Jesus. When he kept Jesus in the center of his life, he could walk on water, and so can we. When he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank. We too can walk like Jesus if we keep our eyes on him. In these verses, John is mulling over the truth. 
He's letting it sink down deep into him, like a meditation. And he's urging us to do the same. He's shown us the truth in the opening four verses of the letter, a truth that isn't fleeting. It's not something that can be replaced by the next fad or fashion movement. As Richard said in his open sermon, opening sermon of the series, Jesus is not something you move on from. Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning, the middle, and the end of everything. Jesus is the truth. What he promises doesn't fade like the latest fads, fashions, and movements. The Gnostics faded and disappeared. John says that the truth can be seen in him and in us because the darkness is passing away and the light is already here. This letter is really good news. It is really exciting. It's about keeping on moving forward with Jesus. It's about moving out of the darkness and into the light. Light that is here now. The true Light is already shining, verse 8. It's not just a promise of the future, as the Gnostics wrongly believed. It's available right here and right now. John is saying to us what he was saying over 2,000 years ago. Don't put off today what you can do now. Now is the time. The kingdom of God is here in Jesus Christ. All we need to do is say yes Accept that he is the everlasting truth and God will do the rest. John returns again in these last couple of verses to authentic faith. He uses the contrasting imagery of light and darkness that he loves so much. Light being love revealed in Jesus Christ and darkness being hate revealed in sin, brokenness and death. John repeats these truths over and over again in this letter. And he does it for a reason. This kind of repetition happens elsewhere in the Bible too. In the Psalms, for example, and often in our worship music, we repeat the same truths over and over again to drum them home. John knows that we are so easily tempted to stay in the darkness, to slip back into old ways of living, that we need to be surrounded by and reminded of the gospel all the time, over and over again. Where there is spiritual darkness in our minds, both our judgment and our conscience is compromised. We don't approach a person or a situation and judge by what we see. Our view has already been tainted by the darkness, our own hatred. It is only love that sees clearly and thinks straight. Only from a place of love can our behaviour, judgments and conduct be balanced. I don't have to think very hard or look very deep to see this in my own life and in the lives of others. Sometimes I do find myself judging someone by external things. What car they drive, how they bring up their children, what music they like what TV programs they watch, where they live, what they wear, what they eat. These might be little things, but are they evidence of living in the light? 
Are they loving? Or is my behavior being tainted by a preconceived idea of what that person might be like because I'm coming from a place of darkness? What about you? Is it just me? Or do you sometimes judge from this place too? When we live in a place of darkness, we cannot see. We cannot see Jesus. We cannot see ourselves. We cannot see our brothers and sisters. But be assured, Jesus loves us even at our darkest. In Romans 5.8, Paul says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's how we respond to that love that matters. So how can we keep his commands and come into the light? Simply by walking with Jesus. The more we walk like him and do what he does, the more he will rub off on us. How do we do it? Firstly, by saying yes to Jesus and accepting that his ways are the everlasting truth. Secondly, by praying often and asking Jesus for his ways to be on our hearts. Thirdly, by reading the Bible often and hearing God speak to us. Fourthly, by being in community. When we encourage and are encouraged by others who are walking with Jesus, we grow. When we nurture and are nurtured by others who are following Jesus, we grow. Jesus was constantly encouraging, nurturing, and growing his disciples. And finally, through repetition. Get into the middle of the boat. Don't stay on the periphery looking in. Get into a small group. Do service. Find a prayer partner. Download a prayer app. These are all ways to keep hearing and living out the gospel. We have incredibly short memories that need constant reminding. Look at the disciples and how many times Jesus had to explain the truth to them. We need to be living out the gospel throughout the week, not just on a Sunday. In John 1, verse 5, John says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light, not us. It is Jesus that we need to focus on. If we focus on him, we don't need to worry about what we're doing, because his spirit that lives in us will enable us to walk in his footsteps. All we need to do is say yes to Jesus. Accept that he is the everlasting truth and God by his spirit will enable us to do the rest. Let's say yes to Jesus today and always. Amen.